Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Challenging. Thought-provoking, insightful, this is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics, hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded Executive Protection Team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, This ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Well, there you have it. There you have it. Thank you, Mr. Barker. You are awesome as always. I appreciate it. Uh, I will be opening up the chat room even as we speak because I am sure on today's show there will be some comments. If anybody's listening, who knows, I might be talking to my own self, as we say in Sussex County, Delaware. So let me lay this on you. Uh, The Collision of Faith and Politics, Gun-Free Zones, Slavery and End of times. Although these are odd bedfellows, why do so many liberals today identify with being Christian and being liberal? What in the world does slavery and hashtag Black Lives Matter have to do with end times prophecy? How about what does it have to do with the Oregon shooting? And I'm going to talk about how the Oregon shooting impacts you. What does it have to do with you I think that's an important question for us to resolve. What does all that stuff have to do with you? While I'm at it, I'm going to talk about the Israeli crisis and that most Americans, we, you know, we don't even know anything about it and why it matters to you what happens in Israel. No, you might also want to know if I get time to get to it. I will also be discussing why I don't get involved in end of times predictions. Now, I've I've done a, a fair amount of preaching. Uh, and speaking on end times prophecy and all those types of things, I just want you to understand that uh, why I don't get involved in a whole lot of the, you know, the blue moon or I'm sorry, the blood moon and Shemitah and all that stuff. So today's radical show, I just want to say, is dedicated to one radical dude who made his final journey home shortly before airtime today, Morty, son of Erita. You are in the presence of Adonai Elohim. May Hashem welcome you as one of the covenant. Look, I have a radical announcement that I have to make today. You ready? Anybody? Are you listening? Radical. Radical. Is this thing on? Is it working? This is radical. 
to be honest, I'm not sure why nobody else has done the statistical and practical scientific analysis to come up with the same conclusion before me, let alone me. But uh, I'm going to lay it out on you. You ready? Is everybody listening? I'm just I'm not, I might only say this once or I might say it a hundred times. You just don't know. Gun free zone signs don't work. Did you hear that? So some practical scientific analysis, statistical, practical scientific analysis. One of my chief researchers from Sussex County, Delaware. Uh we came up with this. Gun-free zone signs do not work to limit gun-driven crimes. Are you shocked? It, I can feel it. I can feel everybody shocked right now. Uh, furthermore, they are ineffective. Why are they ineffective? I say this proudly and brazenly, but you know, gun-free zone I don't know. This is. I think this is, might be too much for the audience. This might be too much for the audience. Gun-free zone signs don't work. They are ineffective. They don't stop gun crimes or killing. And you know what else they don't stop? They don't stop bullets. Did you know that? They don't stop bullets. I know. Shock among shocks. My buddy Steve says, what? You know what else they don't do? They don't scare away bad guys or bad girls with guns. They don't. They do not scare them away. But it seems to me that this is something that the Obama administration could start with rather than taking away my constitutional rights, my Second Amendment. You remember that? A well-regulated militia? being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Seems to me the Hussein Obama administration should start with that rather than swiping my constitutional rights. And I'm here to tell you, I don't think they're swiping my constitutional rights because of anything other than they have malice, a forethought. In other words, they're up to no good. I really want to emphasize, now I want to really emphasize the feces-dominant weather event that would have occurred. That's a joke, Grenade. Go ahead. Who going to get it? Who going to get it first? What a feces-dominant weather event, what is that? That would have occurred if the killer had targeted Muslims. Let me say this again. I really want to emphasize the feces-dominant weather event that would have occurred if the Oregon shooting killer, or any of them for that matter, would have targeted Muslims. I'm going to let that simmer. I'm going to let that simmer. You got this, right? What if the killer goes into the room or the school or the bus or the football game or the church 
or anywhere that these things happen. And he would have said instead of making everybody uh, get on their knees and, and testify as to whether they are Christians, we have a winner. The smart Steve has already identified what the feces-dominant weather event is. And if you go to chat, you will see he is winner, winner, chicken dinner. That is correct. Smart guy. Uh, So the feces-dominant weather event, if in fact, if in fact, he'd have walked in instead of saying, hey, who were the Christians? Where are my Christians up in here? If 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 he'd have said that instead of where 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 my Muslims instead of instead of where my Christians where my Muslims where my Muslims or as we say in downstate Delaware where my Muslims at we always. We dangle a participle there for you, free of charge, no cost or obligation to you, nothing extra. See, I talk a lot about what people can do to protect themselves, and I got to say, uh, there's a there's a, uh, a piece I'm going to read, and and uh, Doug Giles, some of his stuff is really funny to read, but it's also very very true. I talk a lot about what people can do to protect themselves, and and while Doug Giles is trying to be funny in this article, and you'll see where in suggestions that Christians make a pact with their friends when they go places. Dangerous places, you know, really super dangerous places like church and school. Yeah, they're dangerous places now because if you were to believe the president of the United States, you know, Barack Hussein Obama, who has no problem arming people who swear an oath to kill us and drive Israel into the sea to annihilate Israel, He has no problem with that. But he does have a problem with returning soldiers. Owning guns. Possessing guns. He does have a problem with conservative Christians having guns. No problem with Iranians. No problem with Hamas. No problem with Palestine. No problem with any of that. Nothing at all. But he's got a problem with you. I talk a lot about it. I travel around the country speaking. I do uh, private and confidential seminars, individual and private uh, and totally confidential training for individuals or groups. Very advanced stuff. And one of the things I talk about is by the way, you can contact me through theninjapastor.com or drshawngreener.com, the Contact Me page. Contact me through that. My people will reach out to you, reach back out to you, ding, ding, ding. And uh, we will we will work, hash out the details of how that happens. But Doug Giles is kind of making a joke here. He's, he's saying that Christians should make a pact with their friends when they go to these dangerous places like church or school. And this pact is, hey, we got to defend and fight to save each other in the event of attack. You know what? No kidding. I believe that this is exactly what we'll need to do. This is exactly what will need to happen today and moving forward. 
Hey, do you guys remember in my YouTube video last – you know, some of you may not know, uh, I now have a YouTube channel. I don't have a fancy name for it. It's got all those weird numbers and stuff. But once I get to a certain number of views, I think that um, I think that I I qualify at that point for uh, the name the the uh, the ninja you know YouTube dot com backslash the ninja pastor. So you got to get on there. You got to click on like. You got to subscribe. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. That way, when I post a video, you'll get notified again, free of charge. They don't sell your name. Blah blah blah. Um, but on I did a YouTube video last week. All you do is you go to YouTube. Right now, all you do is you go to YouTube, and then you search in the search bar for The Ninja Pastor, uh, or you go to my Facebook, facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio, and uh, you will find all of the things that you need to guide you right into my YouTube stuff. So in that, uh, I gave you some some facts. And you see the left, they they the the conniving, lying left, they're saying that weak gun laws lead to more shootings and more gun deaths. And that conversely, if you have stiff gun laws, that leads to fewer gun deaths. Did you get that? So let me make sure you, you got this. Let me make sure. I don't know if you were listening. Maybe I'll say it again. Ready? The lying, conniving left are saying that weak gun laws lead. Now, this is your. I want to be clear here. Well, let me be clear. Uh, the president says weak gun laws lead to more shootings and more gun deaths, and that conversely, stiff gun laws lead to less gun deaths. Now, I want to take you through a little journey here. The real statistic, again, this is on my YouTube video. Um, because I think it's important. I, I don't think it's important. I know it's important. I know it's important. I know this is important. Listen, we've got to be clear about the facts. The Black Lives Matter group and all the gun grabbers and thieves, they all say the same thing. They they tell lies, and, and they're on television, on the TV. They're on television. They say things like, we've got to close the gun show loophole, and we've got to make it so that people can't just go to the Internet and order 100 guns. And the interviewers, who usually, yes, even on Fox, don't know the truth, the interviewers usually just let them say that, unabated. In a second, I'm going to point out the difference between deaths and murder. But here's the thing. They say things like the gun show loophole. There is no gun show loophole. You go to a gun show, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fill out the same paperwork. You're going to fill it all out and you're going to you're going to go right on ahead and you're going to undergo a, a background check. That's reality, folks. That that is what's going to happen. And if you fail the background check, you know the same one as if you went into a uh if you went into a gun show same one it's the same it's the same exact one folks you need to understand it's the same one so when someone when a lying conniving liberal left says to you that weak gun laws lead to more shootings and more gun deaths and stiff gun laws lead to less gun deaths and fewer shootings 
Here's just one little quick problem with that. I'm going to lay this on you. It's not true. The, the, the gun show loophole they're always trying to close. And the Internet, the, uh, the interweb issue, well, you can, buy, you can buy hundreds of guns on the Internet. Nobody, nobody checks you. Nobody stops you. It's just, hey, why not? You know, I can't stand it. It makes me mad. I want to yell at them when they say things like this. Because, first of all, they're not true. It's just simply not true. There is no gun show loophole. There is no Internet. You can buy 100 guns and nobody. It's just simply not true. But one thing I want to, I really want to emphasize here is I want to point out the difference between deaths and murder. You know, death is bad, of course, unless you're headed to heaven. My buddy Morty. He has a uh, when we went live just short, shortly before um, being uh, going on live here. He he has been interred in his homeland, and death for him is a gift because he's now he's now a partaker of the covenant. He's in the presence of Adonai Elohim. Well, here's here's the thing. We're not talking about death. We're talking about murder. My buddy Steve reminds me that uh, Hussein Obama states that he wants a common sense gun deal. That's what he wants. That's like that's tantamount to the Black Lives Matter folks saying they want equality. We know that's not what they want. We know that's not what they want. Here are the highest. Gun murders by state. Folks, I know a lot of people don't like uh, statistics. The lying left, they don't like the truth, so we're going to give you some truth. And these are fact-checked. California has the highest number of gun murders, murders in which a gun was used. Now, we're not talking about baseball bats. We're not talking about knives. We're not talking about anything like that. We're just talking about, uh, you know, it, it, it's just it's, we're just talking about using a gun. 1,257 gun murders per year. 21% of the population owns a gun in California. 21%. Get that number. 1,257. Highest percentage of gun murders by state. 21% of the population in California owns a gun. 21%. How about Florida? How about Florida? 669 gun murders per year. Murders in which a gun is used to perpetrate the murder. 24% gun ownership in in Florida as compared to 21% and 1,257 gun murders per year. 21% of the population owns a gun. How about in New York? New York. 517 gun murders per year. Murders in which a gun is used. 517. 18% of the population owns a gun. 18%. How about Texas? 805 gun murders per year. 36% of the population in Texas. They own a gun. You got that? You see where we're trending now. I don't want to I don't want to trip anybody up by going too fast here. I have a super smart audience, of course. 805 gun murders. Gun 
used to commit the murder, to create the death, the murder, the homicide. 36% gun ownership. Pennsylvania, you know, there's no L there. There is an L, but nobody ever says it, especially the people from Delaware, Maryland, or Pennsylvania. It's Pennsylvania. It's actually Pennsylvania, but hey, I'm not going to throw rocks. You ready? Here's Pennsylvania's number. 457 gun murders per year. Murders in which a gun was used. 457 murders caused by a person utilizing a gun as the tool of death in Pennsylvania, 34% gun ownership. Now, let's just for fun, just because I like to use both sides of the coin. I like to use statistics. I like to call it as it is, as it were, as it am. Wyoming, 60% gun ownership. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? 60% gun ownership, five gun murders per year. How about Idaho? 56% gun ownership. 56% of the population owns a gun that admits to it. 12 gun murders per year. 12 murders in which a gun is used per year. How about the big sky country, Montana? 58% gun ownership, 12 gun murders per year. South Dakota. Man, is it cold in South Dakota. South Dakota, 57% gun ownership. 57% gun ownership. By population, eight gun murders per year. Murders in which a gun was used to commit murder. How about Alabama, folks? Alabama beat Georgia, University of Georgia dogs. Well, sad to see it. Not unexpected, but sad to see it. I like how Georgia just kept clawing away, but it just is what it is. But Alabama, 58% of the population admits to owning a gun. Now, I want to I just tell you this. Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, South Dakota, and Alabama, those are some independent folk. They don't depend on the government to do everything for them. They handle stuff themselves. Their kids make a pact before they leave. Hey, before we run off to church or we run off to school or we run off to the mall, they don't have a whole lot of malls there, but before we run off to the shopping center, to the park, listen, something goes down, guess what? We're going to stick together. We're going to help each other. We're, gonna, we're in it to win it. We're going to fight whatever evil comes our way. In Alabama, 58% of the folks admitting, admit to gun ownership, only 19 gun murders per year. You know, you see, I know you've done the math in your head. See, I, I know that you've done the math in your head. The states with the highest gun ownership by percentage of population have the lowest gun murders. So if the argument is that legal gun ownership leads inexorably to gun murders, What's going on here? Because that's the argument. If people just have guns, they'll kill people with them. More guns equal more death. According to Barack Hussein Obama, we got to get guns out of the hands, even if we just take them out of the good people's hands, because those are the only people that obey laws. You know, these signs, these stupid signs. Remember what I said? 
in my breaking news, I should have done a video just on that. Gun-free zone signs don't work. They're ineffective. They don't stop gun crimes. They don't stop bullets. They don't stop killings. They don't scare away bad guys. And yet, his contention is, and all of his ilk, guess what? That doesn't matter that they don't. You know why? Oh, by the way, uh, Nancy Pelosi says that once the bad guy realizes that the victims don't have a gun, they'll lay their gun down. This is a person who has been elected and reelected year, decade after decade. By the way, today, the last gun shop operating in San Francisco, California, has closed down. Last one. Freedom. Being sucked out of that state. The last gun shop. I want to ask you something. The states with the highest gun ownership by percentage of population, now these are facts, this is data. We're not tripping up the data. We're not playing with it. The states with the highest gun ownership by percentage of population, they have the lowest gun murders. How can this be? How in the world can this be? How can it be? Bueller? Anybody? Anybody? Think about this. I, I want to I ask you, because I know this is what you're being told. I don't have to ask you if you're being told this. I know. That's what you're being told. Think about this. How are they defining gun deaths? What number does the left use to get to their numbers? By the way, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll answer for you. The lying, gun-grabbing, constitution-ignoring, baby-murdering, baby-parts-peddling left is including suicides and police shootings in this number. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Anybody? Why are suicides? Why is the fact that the lying, gun-grabbing, constitution-ignoring, ignoring, baby-murdering, baby-parts-peddling left, that they're including suicides and police shootings in this number. Why is that important? Because the number one, the number one means by which someone dies at the use of a gun is suicide. You say, well, if they couldn't have gotten their hands on a gun, they wouldn't have never killed themselves. Now, see, I did that in a, a silly, silly accent, but let me tell you this. The southern accent, no, they know better. They know better. Part of the country doesn't know any better is the, you know, I'm telling you this now. Well, that's not right. They are including the suicides and police shootings now. That's not right. It's not right. Suicides, huge number. Huge number. And listen, if somebody tells you some lying, gun-grabbing, constitution-ignoring, baby-murdering, baby-parts-peddling leftist is telling you, well, if if guns were harder to get, then people wouldn't commit suicide. What about that? What about that? What about it? 
It's a lie. It's a flat-out lie. You know, if you know, I'll tell you this number right here. If folks weren't, if folks weren't able to get those big, you know, 150 uh, bullet clips, well, more people wouldn't die. There would be more people alive. That's what would happen because they couldn't kill as many. Despite the fact that I can change a magazine, not a clip, a magazine in about a half a second without taking my eyes off the target. But that's okay. They believe what they believe. Let's just be quiet, not say anything. Why not? Why not? Why would we why would we mess with their illusion? Look, it isn't murders because you can see the stats. You're looking at this here. President Obama doesn't go on national television bemoaning the mass deaths of folks cleaning their guns who accidentally shoot themselves. And you know what that number is tiny, infinitesimal. He doesn't go on there and tell you about all the people committing suicide using a gun. He doesn't do that because he just folds in lies. And that's a problem. Here's something that's pertinent to you. Hey, listeners, let me tell you something really quick. Listen, if you own a gun, not even if you carry a gun, not even if you have a concealed carry permit, but if you own a gun, you need to listen up. You need to get a pen, you need to get paper, something. You need to click into your notes in your smartphone and, and take this number down. First of all, the first number is 20630. Don't worry, I'll repeat it. 20630. Listen, you have the right to defend yourself and your loved ones and your home. All of that stuff is true. You know it is. But the moment you pull the trigger or pull your gun, you are at risk for devastating legal and financial consequences. You know, you can be arrested. You can be jailed. You can be sued. You can be fired. You can be bankrupted. Even when you've legally and justifiably used a gun in self-defense. So you don't have to let this happen to you. Just call Second Call Defense. That number you want is 20630. Listen, it's going to get you a whole month free. 20630. I'll give you the number in a second. You're going to enjoy, listen, when you become a member, you're going to enjoy peace of mind of having immediate and comprehensive legal and financial protection at your fingertips the moment you pull your gun, the moment you pull the trigger, no matter where you are in the United States. You just make two calls. Your first call should always be to 911 to request an ambulance and law enforcement. And listen, we'll tell you exactly what to do, what to say, how to say it. Your second call should be to second call defense. Listen, we've got your back. It's complete legal protection for armed self-defense, and it is fully endorsed by the NRA. It's fully backed by the NRA insurance program. Folks, you've got to have this coverage. I have the Cadillac protection, which is the ultimate coverage, and I'm telling you, it is phenomenal. People say, well, I've got homeowner's coverage. That'll protect me. I've got an umbrella policy, civil liability policy. No, no, it won't. In fact, it's specifically excluded. You say, well, I'll get a a public defender. They'll keep me out of jail. No, they won't. First of all, usually public defenders are from liberal colleges and liberal law schools. They hate guns. They hate people that carry guns. And they're, they don't understand uh, lethal force to start with. They're overworked. They're underpaid. Is that what you want to bet your freedom on? Is that what you want to bet your financial future on? That? Are you kidding me? 877-502-3300. Secondcalldefense.org. You want to give them this number, 20 20- 630. That's the Ninja Pastor's number. You give them that, they're going to give you a free month. Go to God and Country Facebook page. 
Uh, it's facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Uh, there's a place where you can sign up. You, you know, sign up by the means of putting in your information for the show uh, to follow the show. But there's links on there. Once you do that, or on that page, there's a link there, and that will show you exactly where to go. You click on that link, go get all kinds of information. There are no contracts. You're not locked in. And once you get your money back, your free uh, month back, they, they never come back and take it back. This is the best coverage out there. Trust me. I've researched it all. Join today. Welcome back to The Collision of Faith and Politics. Here again is Dr. Sean. So my buddy Steve, uh, he reminds me of uh, something very important. You know, why Why doesn't the president and all the the gun grabbers, why don't they say uh, the the knifing, the baseball batting, the fist pummeling? Why don't they say that? Why is it always, you know, gun crime? Why not knife crime? Why not? Why not? Uh, and listen, you think it you, you think this is crazy. I know. But. Here's the thing. In England, they took away the guns, and now all of a sudden there's a huge spike in people being knifed. And the crazy thing about it is, is now they're trying to get legislation. To uh, to take away the big knives, you say, well, no, that we don't. We just want to take away guns. We just want to take away guns. We don't want to take away, look, we, you know, we just, you know, we, it's for the children. We want to do this for the children. That's all. It doesn't have anything to do. I mean, okay, all right, so England, they took away, they're trying to take away the knives now. We only want to take away the guns. Then knife crimes escalate. Well, Maybe we will take the knives. Maybe we will. It's for the children. Listen, I know initially I said, well, we'll just take the guns because we don't want anybody more to die because guns kill people. And then all of a sudden knives start killing people. Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take away the knives. Just the large ones. Just the big ones, not not any little ones, you know. You know, why are Syrians fleeing, by the way? Why are Syrians fleeing? You know, the 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 refugees. Why are the Syrian refugees fleeing? Now I mean it's increased even more. They're just fleeing. They know the Russia the Russian army and the Russian leader Putin He's not spineless. He's not a liberal. And he's going to bomb them to glass. Maybe that's something that our president could learn. You know what I mean? Anyway, not for nothing. Not for nothing. Thank you guys for joining me, by the way. I want to thank the uh, military, active duty, combat vets, Folks over in combat right now, uh, 
our prayers go out to the the people that are uh that were killed there's a, a local girl was killed in that c130 crash over in afghanistan we uh we pray for the families we pray for the gold star families they've written an awful big check an awful big check and they're all around you I want to thank the clandestine service, the, the non-uniform folks that are out there getting it done every single day, protecting us. I appreciate it more than you'll ever know. Listen, uh, there's an article by Doug Giles, and uh, I know a lot of you might subscribe to his stuff, so... I don't want to be redundant, but uh, this is, I think, pretty important. And he writes, he kind of jokes around. I alluded to this before yesterday. This article came out. Dear gun-free zone campus wizards, nine kids died because of your stupid policy. Now, let me let me just say this, if you don't mind, if you don't mind. And this is not for nothing, but I think it's important that we realize that this is this is a plausible thing. I think more families ought to sue for wrongful death these colleges, these high schools, all of these things. They they should sue wherever. They should sue them for wrongful death. When their kid is killed because they're in a gun-free zone. And the only people that have guns and come into that zone are people that don't care about your stupid sign. Gun-free zones. Stupid. Nine kids died because your stupid policy, Doug Giles says. And this is what he says. Last night he was at his favorite cigar bar watching the news of the Umpqua Community College massacre. Like you, my buddies and I were, I won't say what he said, uh, sad and sick to our stomachs. Three things in particular were ticking us off regarding the senseless slaughter. They were, number one, another gun-free zone epic fail. And I mean epic fail. I mean, epic fail. Number two, Christians were targeted. No mention of that from the president. None at all. No mention from the president at all that the person that committed this homicide, he he saw fit to mention and belabor the fact that the homicide was committed utilizing a gun. But he never once mentioned. And he had this information, by the way, at the time. That Christians were targeted. Apparently Christians don't matter as much. What in the world would have happened if Muslims were targeted? Well, that would have been a feces-dominant weather event, now wouldn't it? 
Christians were targeted. Christians apparently don't matter. Hashtag Christian lives apparently don't matter. And number three, apparently only one dude out of a couple of dozen fought back. Why? They're college kids. I'll answer that for them. They're college kids. Most college kids, you know, they're indoctrinated in the ultra-liberal ways. And while it's unfortunate, it is absolutely true that, and I detail this in my book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. I detail the fact that Well, see, now I'm getting mad. Now I'm getting mad. One guy. One guy out of the whole bunch. One guy. The one guy looks, just remember, and this is, I I find this ironic. I really do. One guy out of this. Yet over in France, one of the guys, uh, Alex Carlados, he's on Dancing with the Stars right now, doing quite well, I might add. He uh, he was one of three of his buddies who took down a guy who was heavily armed on a train and saved a whole bunch of lives. That's a big deal. And yet in all of these young people, and we can We want to call them kids, but they're young people, young adults. One guy. Oh, you know what's amazing about it? What a dink! That one guy out of a couple of dozen that fought back and took a bunch of rounds is recovering now, although he hasn't been invited that I know of to the White House. He slowed the guy down with his own body. He was an Army veteran, combat veteran. One of my friends just sent me a message. Liberals love and defend thieves, bums, whores, terrorists, abusers, abortion, uh, uh, partakers in abortion, performers of abortion, liars, drunks, perverts, addicts, cheaters, and yet liberals hate Christians. So an army, an army veteran, a combat veteran, he runs in where people are running away. The one guy. Those were his three things, Doug Doug Giles. Another gun-free zone, epic fail. Christians were targeted, and apparently one dude out of a couple of dozen fought back. So here are his thoughts, gun-free zones. He says, I know this will be too difficult for your typical abecedarian leftist to grasp but if there had been a good guy on campus with a gun who was trained, licensed, and allowed to carry he would have sent that murderous spawn of Satan to an early hell where he could slow roast for all eternity. Boom. Problem solved. Unfortunately there was no concealed weapon in the possession of a concerned citizen to stop this demonic dipstick because guns are disallowed on that campus. How cute. How PC of UCC. I bet Obama really loves you. And oh, by the way, your gun-free zone rule was obviously now a bad idea. 
like as in a very bad idea, like as in nine Christian kids were shot in the head, bad idea. Did you get that, Umqua? Nine dead, as in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, dead, all because you don't value self-defense. The Second Amendment, or the lives of those kids whose parents pay your bills. Isn't that something? If I were one of the parents who had my child senselessly slaughtered on your campus, I'd sue your politically correct butt off. I think places like yours should no longer be left off the litigious hook. You're culpable because you could have prevented, and yet you didn't. You chose stupidity over common sense, and you should pay heavily. I think a precedence should be set. Why not start with you, UCC? Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. You did all you could do. You did do all you could do. Silly me. You had one Barney Fife security cop with pepper spray and a plastic badge to protect 3,000 students when a mass murderer with multiple weapons strode onto your campus ready to kill. Speaking of your security guard, where the heck was he when the crap was hitting the fan, the feces hitting the circular wind device? Do tell. This is simple. Gun-free zones are target-rich environments. That's why... I do not frequent them. This is him saying, and this is me as well. I see one of those no-gun signs on the door, I shop somewhere else. And I try to find out who I can reach out to to say, hey, ding, 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 to say, hey, guess what doesn't work? Guess what doesn't work? Your gun-free zone. And I'm not going to shop there anymore. I'm not going to buy your overpriced burnt coffee. Not going to do it. Gun-free zones are target-rich environments, folks. That's why I don't frequent them, and I advise all those reading this article and people listening to this show right now to do the same. Christians were targeted. Now, this is directed to Christians. Next time a killer asks you, are you a Christian?, Please kill that SOB for us all. If you're unable to put him down and you're around other Christians that he intends to slaughter, then have a prearranged pact that one of the brethren will grab the shooter and the other saints will beat and choke the be-Jesus out of him. In Christian love, of course. He wants to meet Allah so bad. He wants, he wants to end in, a, in a, a, a famous hail of gunfire. Help him with it. Choke the be-Jesus out of him. This is in the article, but I agree. For those who think I'm being unchristlike with that advice, I don't believe that Jesus would have passively allowed for such a slaughter without opening up a giant big gulp-sized can of holy whoop-ass on the perp. And if for some reason the real, Ye- I say Yeshua, I don't usually say Jesus, Jesus would be against my advice, then he's going to have to forgive me because I don't believe in letting murderous butt monkeys rule and ruin innocent kids' lives. Can I get a witness? Oh, and by the way, Obama didn't seem to make too big of a deal over Christians being picked out and slaughtered, did he? Can you imagine his response if it were Muslim kids that he was targeting? Only one hero fought back. What happened to our culture? That one lone army vet, namely Chris Smith, fought back heroically trying to save other students. Sure, he got shot. But there's no telling how many lives he saved grappling with this gun-wielding goon. What has happened to our culture is that we have been systematically wussified. That's not what he uses, but that's what I'm going to use. 
And that needs to change stat. Parents, pastors, and mentors, please, for the love of God, teach your chargers that this there's this thing called sacrifice and that it's a virtue, and especially when utilized in the saving of another precious life. With that said, I think as long as schools and businesses are going to live with their heads up their backsides in gun-free zones, there should be mass murder drills mandated in all schools to draft to too daft to allow for concealed weapons. In other words, if they're too stupid to allow, Liberty University, by the way, allows their students who, who possess a concealed carry permit to have guns. You better have drills. I mean, why not? In my day, we had them for fire and tornadoes. Mass murderers are killing way more than fire and twisters. Because apparently the presence is every couple of weeks, every couple, every week practically, every other day we're having these mass murderers do all these shootings with these bad and evil guns. Why, why not have a plan for when a whiny dillweed disgraces your campus with ill intent? One shooter cannot take on a classroom of 30 who won't put up with this crap. Doug Giles goes on to say, I know the above is not pretty or pleasant, but when foul zombies can walk into a classroom and kill innocent college students, far as I'm concerned, the gloves have officially come off. Here's my advice to students. This is Doug Giles, and I concur. Professors and school administrators forego the pep rallies for a while and instead have a stomp the crap out of the next perp prep rally. You've got to unite, unite. You've got to develop a strategy. Lastly, I can't wait till the headlines read, Killer walks into class to kill Christians and the Christians killed him instead. Call me simple, call me a redneck, call me whatever the heck you want to call me. But until we allow credible and licensed, proven and protected professors and students to carry a weapon on campus, we will see this murderous madness occur again and again. Are you listening? We will be back with Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, after these short messages. Hey, listeners, let me tell you something really quick. Listen, if you own a gun, not even if you carry a gun, not even if you have a concealed carry permit, but if you own a gun, you need to listen up. You need to get a pen, you need to get paper, something. You need to click into your notes in your smartphone and, and take this number down. First of all, the first number is... 20630. Don't worry, I'll repeat it. 20630. Listen, you have the right to defend yourself and your loved ones and your home. All of that stuff is true. You know it is. But the moment you pull the trigger or pull your gun, you are at risk for devastating legal and financial consequences. You know, you can be arrested. You can be jailed. You can be sued. You can be fired. You can be bankrupted. Even when you've legally and justifiably used a gun in self-defense. Listen, you don't have to let this happen to you. Just call Second Call Defense. That number you want is 20630. Listen, it's going to get you a whole month free. 20630. I'll give you the number in a second. You're going to enjoy, listen, when you become a member, you're going to enjoy peace of mind of having immediate and comprehensive legal and financial protection at your fingertips the moment you pull your gun, the moment you pull the trigger, no matter where you are in the United States. You just make two calls. Your first call should always be to 911 to request an ambulance and law enforcement. And listen, we'll tell you exactly what to do, what to say, how to say it. Your second call should be the second call defense. Listen, we've got your back. It's complete 
legal protection for armed self-defense, and it is fully endorsed by the NRA. It's fully backed by the NRA insurance program. Folks, you've got to have this coverage. I have the Cadillac protection, which is the ultimate coverage, and I'm telling you, it is phenomenal. People say, well, I've got homeowner's coverage. That'll protect me. I've got an umbrella policy, civil liability policy. No, no, it won't. In fact, it's specifically excluded. You say, well, I'll get a public, a public defender. They'll keep me out of jail. No, they won't. First of all, usually public defenders are from liberal colleges and liberal law schools. They hate guns. They hate people that carry guns. And they're, they don't understand uh, lethal force to start with. They're overworked. They're underpaid. Is that what you want to bet your freedom on? Is that what you want to bet your financial future on? That? Are you kidding me? 877-502-3300. Secondcalldefense.org. You want to give them this number, 20630. That's a Ninja Pastors number. You give them that, they're going to give you a free month. Go to God and Country Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Uh, there's a place where you can sign up. You know, you know, sign up by the means of putting in your information for the show. Uh, to follow this show, but there's links on there. Once you do that, or on that page, there's a link there, and that will show you exactly where to go. You click on that link, go, get all kinds of information. There are no contracts. You're not locked in. And once you get your money back, your free uh, month back, they, they never come back and take it back. This is the best coverage out there. Trust me. I've researched We will be back with Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, after these short messages. Actually, I'm back. How about that? I was going to do another commercial, but I decided I couldn't wait to tell you this. Yeah, the police uh, have released the following information that there was a guy there uh, who was armed. And my friend Millie reminded me of this, uh, said he was armed. But he didn't do anything because he was afraid the police wouldn't recognize him from being the shooter, from not being the shooter. Thought he would he would be mistaken for being the shooter. Are you kidding me? He's a punk. He should have his man card taken away. So okay, Obama goes beyond mere gun control and hints at confiscation. By the way, I might be writing. Uh, I guess I can kind of say this. There's a chance I'm going to be um, writing for a, I won't say what the publication is, but it's a big publication. And there's a chance that I'm going to be doing that. So I'm uh, I'm excited about it. There's a good chance, actually. So I will be making an announcement here coming up soon. But uh, according to the AP, uh, AWR Hawkins, this was written on, um, 3 October 2015, when President Obama spoke in reaction to the heinous October 1st attack on Umpqua uh, Community College, he went beyond his usual calls for more gun control and suggested instead that America consider following the path blazed by Australia, excuse me, and Great Britain. In the mid-1990s, Australia and Great Britain, Britain both instituted what were virtually complete bans on firearm possession. Obama referenced the bans like this. We all know that other countries, in response to one mass shooting, have been able to craft laws that almost eliminate mass shootings. Liar. 
friends of ours, allies of ours, Great Britain, Australia, countries like ours. So we know there are ways to prevent it. And, and listen, folks, this is what your president said, Hussein Obama. But you know what? Obama is not the only one who suggested taking a gun-free approach to American life. The second and, – and listen, I'm going to just say this. The, the second this shooting happened and any other shooting, this anti-Second Amendment message was also pushed by Slate, Vox, Dan Savage, and others. For example, on October 1st, Slate ran a story reminding readers that Australia enacted their gun ban in response to an attack on April 28, 1996, wherein a gunman opened fire on tourists on a seaside resort in Port Arthur, Tasmania. 35 were killed and 23 others were wounded in the attack. Twelve days later, Australia's government banned guns, period. Knee-jerk reaction, anybody? On October 2nd, Vox explained that Australia confiscated 650,000 guns via a mandatory gun buyback program, which forced gun owners to hand their firearms over for destruction. Vox claims that the result was that murders and suicides plummeted and suggested a path might be, that path might be an option for America following the murder of at least 10 people at Umqua Community College. Vox did not mention that firearm-related murder and non-negligent homicide began plummeting in America in the mid-1990s as well. But in America, the decrease in violent crime did not correlate with a gun ban, but with a rapid expansion in the number of guns privately owned. The Congressional Research Service reported that the number of privately owned firearms in America went from 192 million in 1994 to 310 million privately owned firearms in 2009. Subsequently, the firearm-related murder and non-negligent homicide rate fell from 6.6 per 100,000 in 1993 to 3.3 per 100,000 in 2000, and finally to 3.2 per 100,000 in 2011. But none of this made any difference to Dan Savage, who responded to the attack on Umpqua Community College by calling for Second Amendment's repeal. Dan Savage tweeted, you know what, the NRA, you know what, the gun nuts, you know what, the Second Amendment. Better yet, repeal the Second Amendment. That's what he said. The article was written by, uh, you can follow uh, AWR Hawkins at AWR Hawkins on Twitter. I'm going to take this one step further and say this. Gun bans are bad for black people. Bad for black people. Let that sit. My buddy Steve uh, has provided a great deal of this research and reinforced some of the research that I had, and uh, great stuff. It's in the history books that guns are bad for black people. Uh, gun bans are bad, bad for black people. Guns are good for black people. In fact, the NRA, that's part of why the NRA was founded. You understand that, right? <laughs> My buddy, Philly Bob. Valerie Jarrett, a senior advisor to President Barack Obama, responded to an intentionally outrageous gun question during an online gun violence Q&A Monday by endorsing new technology that makes guns smarter. Jarrett was asked, My idea is guns with microchips that can be remotely disabled. Your thoughts. Are you kidding me? 
It's in the history books. At the height of slavery, only 65% of blacks in America were slaves. 25% of free Negroes, this is from a book, The American Journey, A History in the United States, Volume 1, to 1877, the seventh, seventh edition. You can also uh, find this at newobserveronline.com, Hidden Facts About Slavery in America. At the height of slavery, only 65% of blacks in America were actually slaves. 28% of free Negroes, this is the word they use, in the United States at the time of slavery owned slaves as compared to 4.8% of southern whites owning slaves, or 1.4% of all white Americans at the time. There is a higher chance for an African American that is descended from this country to have been as uh, slave owner been a slave owner over a, a white American, and less than a third of African Americans are descended from slaves. Boy, if you if you listen, I mean, good lands, folks. You'd think that every single white person, within the sound of my voice, owns slaves. Or maybe your parents did, or your uncles, your your uh, your grandparents. But that's not reality. Only 1.4% of all white Americans at the time owned slaves. And only a third of African Americans are actually descended from slaves. 97% of all African men and women and children that were kidnapped went elsewhere than the colonies. Townhall.com, Michael Medved, does an article called The Six Inconvenient Truths. The Six Inconvenient Truths About Slavery. And I'm telling you, it's, it's, I'm not a huge fan of Michael Medved. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm really not. But he says this, Those who want to discredit the United States and to deny our role as history's most powerful and preeminent force for freedom, goodness, and human dignity will invariably focus on America's bloody past, as slave holding as a slave holding nation, along with the displacement and mistreatment of Native Americans, the enslavement of literally millions of Africans counts as one or two one of our two founding crimes and an obvious rebuttal to any claims that this republic truly represents the land of the free and home of the brave. According to the America bashers at home and abroad, open minded students of our history ought to feel more guilt than pride and strive for reparations. Or other restitution. By the way, the Black Lives Matter, that's what they're that's what they're screaming for now. Reparations or other restitution to overcome the nation's uniquely cruel, racist, and rapacious legacy. Unfortunately, the current mania for exaggerating America's culpability for the horrors of slavery bears no more connection to reality than the old discredited tendency to deny that the United States bore any blame at all. No, it's not true that the peculiar institution the peculiar institution featured kind-hearted, paternalistic masters and happy dancing field hands any more than it's true that America displayed unparalleled barbarity or enjoyed disproportionate benefit from kidnapping and exploiting innocent Africans. An honest and balanced understanding of the position of slavery in the American experience requires a serious attempt to place the institution in historical context and to clear away some of the common myths and distortion. Here's one. Slavery was an ancient and universal institution, not distinctly American innovation. Folks, you understand that at the time of our founding of the Republic in 1776, slavery existed literally everywhere on earth. And it had been accepted as an aspect of human history from the very beginning of organized societies. 
You understand that, right? The other myth, slavery existed only briefly and in limited locales in the history of the Republic, involving only a tiny percentage of the ancestors of today's Americans. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution put a formal end to the institution of slavery 89 years after the birth of the Republic. 142 years have passed since this welcome emancipation. Moreover, the importation of slaves came to an end in 1808, as provided by the Constitution, a mere 32 years after independence. And slavery had been outlawed in most states decades before the Civil War. Even in the South, more than 80% of the white population never even owned slaves. Given the fact that the majority of today's non-black Americans descend from immigrants who arrived in this country after the war between the states, only a tiny percentage of today's white citizens, perhaps as few as 5%, perhaps as few as 5% bear any authentic sort of generational guilt for the exploitation of slave labor. Of course, a hundred years of Jim Crow laws, economic oppression, indefensible discrimination, followed by the theoretical emancipation of the slaves, but those harsh realities raise different issues from those connected with the long-ago history of bondage. Though brutal, slavery was not genocidal. Live slaves were valuable, but dead captives brought no profit. If they were indeed owned for a purpose of work, dead people can't work, and they can't be sold. That's just a bottom line. Let's issue some common sense here, folks. It's not true that the United States became a wealthy nation through the abuse of slave labor. The most prosperous states in the country were those that first freed their slaves. Pennsylvania passed an emancipation law in 1780. Connecticut and Rhode Island followed four years later, all before the Constitution. Let me just tell you, Constitution, December 7, 1787, Delaware was the first to sign, the first state. New York approved emancipation in 1799. These states with dynamic banking, banking centers in Philadelphia and Manhattan quickly emerged as robust centers of commerce and manufacturing, greatly enriching themselves while the slave-based economies in the South languished by comparison. At the time of the Constitution, Virginia constituted the most populous and wealthiest state in the Union, but by the time of the war between the states, the Old Dominion had fallen far behind a half a dozen northern states that had outlawed slavery two generations earlier. All analysis of northern victory in the great sectional struggle between the vast advantages in terms of wealth and productivity in New England, the mid-Atlantic states, and the Midwest compared to the relatively backward and impoverished states of the Confederacy. While a few families of the Old South undoubtedly based their formidable fortunes on the labor of slaves, the prevailing reality of the planter class involved chronic indebtedness and shaky finances, long before the ultimate collapse of the evil system of bondage. The notion that America based its wealth and development on slave labor hardly comports with the obvious reality that 200 years since the founding of the Republic, by far the poorest and least developed section of the nation, was precisely that reason where slavery once prevailed. I'm going to tell you in just a minute, there's a couple more points I want to cover from this. I'm going to tell you why gun bans are bad specifically for black people. 
He goes on to say, while America, this is Michael Medved, while America deserves no unique blame for the existence of slavery, the United States merits special credit for its rapid abolition. In the course of scarcely more than a century following the emergence of the American Republic, men of conscience, principle, and unflagging energy succeeded in abolishing slavery, not just in the New World, but in all nations of the West. During three eventful generations, one of the most ancient, ubiquitous, and unquestioned of all human institutions, considered utterly indispensable by the enlightened philosophers of Greece and Rome, became universally discredited and finally illegal, with Brazil the last liberating all its slaves in 1888. This worldwide mass movement, spearheaded in Britain and elsewhere by fervent evangelical Christians, whoa, wait, not those Christians that are bad, the fervent evangelical Christians brought about the most rapid fundamental transformation in all human history. While the United States and the British colonies that preceded our independence played no prominent role in creating the institution of slavery or even in establishing the long-standing African slave trade pioneered by Arab, Portuguese, Spanish, Dutch, and other merchants long before the settlement of English North America, Americans did contribute mightily to the spectacularly successful anti-slavery agitation. As early as 1646, the Puritan founders of New England expressed their revulsion at the enslavement of their fellow children of God. When magistrates in Massachusetts discovered that some of their citizens had raided an African village and violently seized two natives to bring them across the Atlantic for sale in the New World, the general court condemned this heinous and crying sin of man-stealing. The officials promptly ordered the two blacks returned to their native land. Two years later, Rhode Island passed legislation denouncing the practice of enslaving Africans for life and ordered that any slaves brought within the liberties of this colony be set free after ten years, as the manner is with English servants. A hundred and thirty years later, John Adams and Benjamin Franklin both spent most of their lives as committed activists in the abolitionist cause, and Thomas Jefferson included a bitter condemnation of slavery in its original draft of the Declaration of Independence. This remarkable passage saw African bondage as a cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty, and described a market where men should be bought and sold as the constituting piratical warfare and execrable commerce. Unfortunately, the Continental Congress removed this prescient, powerful denunciation in order to win the approval from Jefferson's fellow slave owners. But the impact of the Declaration and the American Revolution remained a powerful factor in energizing and inspiring the international anti-slavery cause. Nowhere did idealists pay a higher price for liberation than they did in the United States of America. Confederate forces, a very few of whom ever owned slaves, may not have fought consciously to defend the peculiar institution, but Union soldiers and sailors, particularly at the end of the war, proudly risked their lives for the Emancipation Clause. Julia Ward Howe's powerful and popular Battle Hymn of the Republic called on federal troops to follow Christ's example as he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. And many of them did die, some 364,000 in four years of combat, or the stunning equivalent of 5 million deaths as a percentage of today's United States population. Moreover, the economic cost of liberation remained almost unimaginable. In nearly all other nations, 
the government paid some form of compensation to slave owners at the time of emancipation, but southern slave owners received no reimbursement of any kind when they lost an estimated $3.5 billion in 1860 dollars, about $70 billion in today's dollars, of what Davis describes as a hitherto legally accepted form of property. The most notable aspect of America's history with slavery doesn't involve its tortured and bloody existence, but unprecedented speed and determination with which abolitionists roused the national conscience and put this age-old evil to an end. Here's number six. There's no reason to believe that today's African Americans would be better off if their ancestors had remained in Africa. Have you seen Africa? Have you seen it? In the view of the last century in Nigeria or Ivory Coast or uh, Sierra Leone or Zimbabwe, could any African American say with confidence that he or she would have been would have fared better with some distant ancestor had they not been enslaved? Of course, those who seek reparations would also cite the devastating impact of Western colonialism in stunting African progress. But the United States played virtually no role in the colonization of the continent. The British, French, Italians, Portuguese, Germans, and, and others all established brutal colonial role in Africa. Tiny Belgium became a particularly oppressive and blood bloodthirsty colonial power in the Congo. The United States, on the other hand, sponsored only one long-term venture on the African continent, the colony of Liberia. An independent nation set up as a haven for liberated American slaves who wanted to go home. The fact that so few availed themselves of the opportunity or heeded the back-to-African exhortations of turn-of-the-century black nationalist Marcus Garvey reflect the reality that descendants of slaves understood they were better off remaining in the United States for all of its faults. Here's the end of the article. In short, politically correct assumptions about America's entanglement with slavery lack any sense of depth, perspective, or context. And with so many other persistent lies about this fortunate land, the unthinking indictment of the United States is uniquely blameworthy for an evil institution that ignores the fact the record of previous generations provides some basis for pride as well as guilt. That's an article by Michael Medved. I don't normally quote him, but that is a phenomenal article. Folks, you understand that I started this off and I said, gun bans are bad for black people. Let me say this. Let me bring this home for you. Let me bring this home for you. Are you ready? If black people early on were allowed, were permitted to defend themselves with guns, would they not have been better off? 97% of all African men, women, and children that were kidnapped went elsewhere other than the colonies. The largest shippers of African slaves were Africans. Are you ready for it? And Islamics. Do you understand what I'm saying, folks? Guns aren't a distinctly white, Bible-clinging, gun-toting thing. 
Not at all. And yet we're told that all white people, bad, bad slave owners. Listen, had it not been for the evangelical Christians, there'd be no schools all throughout the South. 80% of freed slaves stayed sharecroppers. Why, why not homestead? Why not own your own property? Or why not go for free back to Africa, back to Liberia, your homeland? Why didn't they do it? Because it wasn't as bad here as it was made out to be. And the fact of the matter is, what if? What if they had the availability to have a gun to defend themselves and their families? What if? Think about that. What if? We'll be right back. We will be back with Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, after these short messages. here. Please, this is very important. If you could, follow and subscribe this show. You know what? My statistics for this show don't count unless you are a subscriber or a follower. Uh, What you do is you go to blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninja pastor and if you use Twitter and Facebook, follow us at the ninja pastor and on Facebook, click on sign up just under my photograph under www.facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Subscribers, you get notifications first of all of our shows anywhere we're appearing and it's all free nobody steals your information again if you could click on follow and subscribe here at www.blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninja pastor if you're on twitter and facebook follow me at the ninja pastor go to facebook.com backslash god and country radio click follow and sign up thanks a bunch man i really appreciate it way to go happy warriors Hey, happy warriors. This is the Ninja Pastor. Every week I tell you about the Student Rights Handbook, a guide to constitutionally protected religious freedom on campus. Remember where this comes from. This comes from the Alliance Defending Freedom. If you go to alliancedefendingfreedom.org, you will be able to download one of these PDFs for free. They'll also send you a Student Rights Handbook for free in print, nice spiral bound. Tells you all about the the rights that your children, your neighbor's children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, any of your friends have, including teachers, that might be in the public school system. What rights do individual students have to express their faith at school? What rights do religious clubs have to access secondary school facilities? What can students, coaches, teachers do as a part of religious clubs on campus? That's the thing. What rights do you have? Folks, you don't know until you read this. You don't know that your rights, your children's rights, are being taken away. Alliance Defending Freedom More, go to Facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. There's a quick little link there. While you're there, click on like, click on sign up. We'd be glad to have you. Thank you. Welcome back to the Collision of Faith and Politics. Here again is Dr. Sean. Welcome back. 
Welcome back. Here's something that uh, I think most Americans don't know, and I certainly believe that most uh, black Americans don't know this. How many Americans know that the first slave owner in America was a black tobacco farmer? How many Americans are aware that thousands of free blacks in the South were themselves slave owners? What's the answer? Very few. Sadly, very few. <sighs> Boy, have we covered a lot today, have we not? What time is it? 38 minutes. Holy moly. We've got lots more. Israeli rabbi and wife brutally murdered in front of children. Fatah cheers for more. Jim Hoft, this on October 3rd. Did you know that in May 2011, Barack Obama urged Israel to hand over half of Jerusalem, the Wailing Wall, the Temple Mount, Old Jerusalem, and the tomb of Yeshua Hamashiach to Hamas Fatah Terrorist Alliance? Hussein Obama thought this would bring peace. This week, Fatah terrorists took responsibility for the brutal murder of a young Israeli couple in front of their children. Fatah, the moderate Palestinian faction, cheered for more. Rabbi Etam and Naima Hankin were murdered in front of their children, the Israel National News reported. The armed wing of the Palestinian Authority, Chairman Mahmoud Abbas Fatah, faction initially claimed responsibilities for Thursday's night, Thursday night's brutal murder of a young couple right in front of their four children, but now a senior Fatah official has confirmed that claim. Senior Fatah official Mahmoud Alaoul, who is a member of the Fatah Central Committee, was revealed by the Palestinian Media Watch, by Palestinian Media Watch, PMW, as having announced responsibility of the night before the night before on Facebook for the murder of Rabbi Etam and Naima Hankin outside Itamar in Samaria. The Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigades, the military wing of the Palestinian National Liberation Movement, Fatah, accepted responsibility for the Itamar operation, i.e. the murder operation, carried out against settlers leading to their deaths, wrote Al-Alul in an open admission. Al-Alul is a senior Fatah figure. He was the Palestinian Authority governor of Shechem Nablus from 1995 before becoming part of the Fatah Central Committee in 2009. In 2012, he confirmed Fatah remains committed to terrorism, saying no one has dropped the armed resistance from his dictionary. The martyr Abdul Khadr al-Husseini brigades in the particular faction of Fatah, which claimed responsibility for the murder of the Hankin couple. Fatah and Hamas officials have both praised the attack, and the praise of the murder by Palestinian Arab groups continued on Friday. The Popular Resistance Committees, or the PRC, said that the alleged kill killings of Arabs by Jews needed a painful response to settlers to stop their terrorism against our people on the West Bank, according to the Palestinian Arabs Ma'an News Agency. Know what I have to say to that? Any clue? They are a bunch of liars. They are a bunch of lying murderers. They are cowards. I have zero respect for them. And they should be treated accordingly. Why aren't they? 
Why aren't they, folks? Why aren't they treated like the murderers that they are? Why is that? Do you see Israelis going around killing? I mean, with all the cameras that people have, don't you think you'd see more Israelis killing a bunch of Muslims? Don't you, don't you think that as they go to Israeli hospitals and get treated for free that they would, whoop, this one died, whoop, this one died, sorry, too tough to save. My scalpel slipped. Oh, we couldn't get to them. But there's not any of that. But there are countless testimony. Palestinian babies, Muslim babies being saved for free at Israeli hospitals. Of the moms being saved for free at Israeli hospitals. And the mother coming back with bombs stuffed under their ridiculous outfits to kill the very people that saved their life. You've got to understand that one of the worst things that we can do as a people, and I teach this, I teach this in, when I travel around and I teach in different speeches I give on security-related affairs. I explain to people, listen, if you are sitting there and you're saying to yourself, hey, you know what? I'm being victimized right now, but you know what? I'm really curious as to why this person is doing this to me at this moment in time in my life. Why are they stabbing me? Why are they shooting me? Why are they hitting me in the head with a bat? Why are they pummeling me with their fist? Why are they raping me? Hey, bad guy, why are you doing this to me? I just really want to understand why. I mean, more important than saving my own life, I just need to understand why. If I could just know why. I teach folks, stop worrying about the why. The rattlesnake doesn't have to convince you that it will kill you. It'll handle that. And no amount of conversation with the rattlesnake will keep you from being bitten. Viewing the rattlesnake in the popular view of, holy moly, that's a rattlesnake, I'm going to stay away. And as a lot of people do, they kill them. Now, I don't kill all snakes. There's a poisonous snake. If you go to Facebook, you'll see a, a photograph of a, of a poisonous snake trying to bite me. We had some flooding, and they came up out of the water, and woo! That sucker was after some Sean meat. He was trying to kill me. I don't know if he had a southern accent. I don't think he did. But he was he was getting after me. As soon as I walked up, wham! He just takes a, takes a run at me. I was, fortunately, I have speedy reflexes and razor-sharp response, and I was able to get out of the way. <laughs> Don't ask your captors why they're doing it. Don't waste your time with that. If you're in a place where an attacker comes in, whether they're Muslim, whether they're angry for whatever reason, do not be... As the saying goes, my buddy Steve reminds me, the only requirement for evil to win is for good men to do nothing. Like that guy on that campus that had a concealed carry permit, had his gun and did nothing because he didn't want to get mistaken for the shooter and get shot himself, so he did nothing. They should take away his man card. They should take away his concealed carry permit because he doesn't deserve it. you got to understand that when you're spending time 
asking yourself those big questions of why. Why? 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 You're being murdered. Your life is being taken from you. And while you're asking why from someone who will never, ever, ever satisfy that need and still allow you to live, you're losing your life. You're wasting your time. How about better we learn how to defend ourselves? How about better we learn how to kill those that come after us? How about that? Anybody? Hey, here's uh, something I get asked a lot and I felt like I needed to... um, I needed to address, and that's regarding blood moons, the Shemitah, and such. Now, um, I just, you know, there's a lot of really great books out there done by some really great people. And I'm not bemoaning anything that they say or purport. There's one in particular I'm not a huge fan of. He's a Christian. Uh, But Jonathan Kahn... Um, I like the guy, and uh, he's a good guy, and I believe he comes from a good place, and he speaks a lot of truth. But I'm not going to say the other guy. Excuse me. I'm not going to say the other guy. I'm I'm not going to say his name because it would be like him to violate the Bible and sue a Christian, sue a fellow Christian. But but this Christian pastor likes to fancy himself himself as somebody who really knows a lot about Hebrew culture and Israel and and all of those things. But <laughs> one of our commenters says after 17 plus 1 attempts to stop the individual from shooting me, then I'll ask why. Amen, brother. Amen. I love that. That ought to be a bumper sticker. That had ought to be a bumper sticker. But regarding the blood moon, Shemitah, and all that kind of stuff, the end times prophecy and all that stuff, and I have a series on the ninjapastor.com and on iTunes. We have a, It's free of charge. It's a whole series. The whole Anything I put on there is free. So never worry about that. Although if you go to the ninjapastor.com and if you, have, um, if you like what we do in our ministry and what we do on this show, then... Um, you know, feel free to hit that donate button, and and as as the people who do donate, uh, they know that every penny goes back into this ministry and back into the show. So, it's just um, that's just that's just reality. But regarding the blood moon Shemitah and all the other end time stuff, as my professor Doc, uh, and he's a Oxford PhD, Doctor Skip Moen from Masters in Evansville, Indiana. That's my uh, that's my alma mater. The bottom line is this: Why waste time even thinking about this stuff? Why are we so concerned about prediction? Because ultimately, prediction is a function of a worldview that desires control, a worldview that is not part of Hebraic thought. We need to shift our paradigms before we start using the Bible for a code to the universe. You see, why is it we want to know so much? The mystery of the Shemitah, Jonathan Kahn, the 3,000-year-old mystery that holds the secret of America's future, the world's future, and your future. Now, I'm not disputing anything in the book, but I'm going to say thank you, Bob. I'm going to say this, that uh, it's real important for you to understand that our need for control and our paradigm of having a need for control 
that's what drives us to know, well, what is going to happen here? What's going to happen there? Let's just, you know, work until he comes, work until he returns. Let's fight until he returns. Let's let's do what we're supposed to do. Let's do what we're supposed to do. Instead of trying to figure out all this stuff, because I'll tell you the truth. Um, I honestly, you know, people ask me this, and and I don't want to be ignorant, but I don't care about any of it. And they're always surprised. They said, man, you're a specialist in Hebrew worldview. You don't care? I really don't. I'm to work until he comes, capital H. I'm to work until God sends his son, Yeshua Hamashiach, to return for me. I'm to prepare for that. I'm to fight for liberty and freedom, as has been my gift and my obligation to be born here in the United States of America. I'm to be mutually pledged to each other to keep the republic. I'm going to read that quote again from Professor Dr. Skip Moen. The bottom line is this. Why waste time even thinking about this stuff? Why are we so concerned about prediction? Because ultimately prediction is a function of a worldview that desires control, a worldview that is not part of Hebraic thought. We need to shift our paradigms before we start using the Bible for a code to the universe. We will be back with Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, after these short messages. Hey, happy warriors. This is the Ninja Pastor here. Listen, keepers of the republic, people who care about the future of this country, if that's you, and you're not the you that just wants to talk about it, just do Facebook posts, just do Twitter, but, I mean, you really want to do something. You really want to make a difference. You're called a keeper of the republic. Our founders clearly detailed that we, the people, would keep our republic if we participated in our own governance. Self-governance, let me tell you what, requires education, participation, sacrifice, and determination and the belief that you can make a difference. Look, you got to do something, but what is something? As I said, Facebook posts, they won't save the republic. Neither will rallies or voter drives. It goes way deeper. And if you truly want to do something of value that is also effective, the question is, are you willing? Listen, you can go to centerforselfgovernance.com or you can go to facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. There's a link there uh, for a center of self-governance. All you do is click there. While you're there at facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio, click on like and sign up. And you'll have all these links uh, immediately available to you. Super, super easy. And I can help arrange courses for you in the Northeast and elsewhere. you got to do it. You say, i got to do something. I want to do something. This is the something. This is the something really big. This is the secret sauce. you got to ask yourself some tough questions. Do you really have what it takes? Do you really have what it takes to help save this country? Do you really want to save the country? Have you given up already? Then here's the really, really tough question. Am I worth the blood and treasure already sacrificed for liberty and freedom? Am I worth the acres of crosses in Arlington, Virginia, and towns across America? Soldiers who gave everything, committed everything to our freedom. How do you do it? Go to my Facebook page, facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio, and then click on the link to this, Center for Self-Governance. It'll be right there. You want to do something? This is your something. Welcome back to The Collision of Faith and Politics. Here again is Dr. Sean. 
And you know what? Classes in Delaware and Pennsylvania Friday, November 13th through Monday, November 16th. All you have to do, folks, all you have to do, and Mark Herr, uh, one of the founders of um, the Center for Self-Governance, and I'll be there, by the way. I'll bring my books. I'll sign them for you. Um, they're instantly worth half once I sign them. Uh, but I'll be there and uh, to all of the classes. There's going to be one class, by the way, in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, Lansdale, Pennsylvania. And I think that's going to be a follow-up to the last class that was there that was very well attended, some fired-up folks there. Um, and so anyway, uh, there's going to be classes in Delaware and Pennsylvania Friday, November 13th through Monday, November 16th. And you need to understand, uh, one of them, by the way, will be in Dover, Delaware. I think the, the 16th will be in Dover, Delaware. And that's in the middle of the state in Delaware. And listen, honestly, you can get there within an hour or two from just about anywhere. You know, you do a, a circle around it, a radius around Delaware, and, and it's you're, you're there quickly. Uh, and Mark Herr will be teaching himself, and I'm telling you, he's awesome. He's awesome. We had Bill Norton, who was awesome. He's written a great book, by the way, and, and uh, he didn't ask me to plug this, so I hope this is okay. Um, the Miracle of America, Birth of a Nation, written by William S. Norton and Brian P. Trotter, fine art photography by Helen Thomas Robeson. And I'm guessing that you can get that book uh, from the CSG site. But listen, here's what you do. You go to the CSG site, you look for classes, and then you type in your state, and then that will pop up all the classes. So if you're nearby to any of these Delaware or Pennsylvania classes, register for them, pay for them right then, register for them, very low cost, pay for them, register for them, commit to it, put it in your calendar, make plans to be there, and then be there. I'm telling you, say you want to, you say you want to save the republic, but what are you willing to do? This is the secret sauce. I'm not kidding you. On the Christian disposition to socialism. Now, my great buddy, uh, one of my very best friends in the world, Jerry from Pennsylvania, uh, he supplies me with some of the most uh, high intellect research. I'll tell you, he, he's just really something special. And it, he forwarded something to me I just can't get out of my mind on the Christian predisposition to socialism. Now, in my book, uh, Excellence Kill the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, remember, it's available at theninjapastor.com, theninjapastor.com, com. Or you can go to um, Amazon.com, all of those things. Uh, or if you come to any of my speaking engagements and you, you buy the book, I'm happy to sign it for you. Again, instantly worth half. Sorry for that deal. Uh, but the Christian predisposition to socialism, Alastair McIntyre, in his assessment of Thomas Aquinas' concept of justice rights, the condemnation of theft presupposes the legitimacy of private property. And this concept does seem to permeate the most and, – and you'll hear me talk in my book, again, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, available at theninjapastor.com. My family would like to eat, although if you look at pictures of me, I'm clearly not missing any meals. By the way, at this point, I do want to remember to thank uh, a certain family for inviting me to their, their son and new daughter-in-law's wedding uh, this past weekend in Washington, D.C. Let me tell you, folks. Phenomenal young man, a phenomenal young man. I won't say his name. We pray for him every week. Uh, we kind of allude to him, but because of what he does, I'm uh, I'm not going to say his name on the air. And I can tell you, he's put it all on the line for this country, and he's taking a new post there in D.C. and we couldn't be more proud of him. He's a great, great guy, and he is marrying a wonderful, wonderful young lady. But I want to thank you all 
for allowing me to come, for inviting me to come. I had such a great time uh, being around you all. And I'll tell you what else, too. I met some incredible people, Marlo Lewis and Mary Lewis, some of the brightest people I've met in a long, long time. Marlo is just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal mind as it relates to the EPA and and things of that nature, and Mary is a, a policy expert, and I just can't wait for you to hear from them. Can't wait to have them on the show. Wonderful people, but thank you very much to Lynn and and um, and John for inviting me and for all the, the families to, and I'm telling you, it was fun. It was a lot of fun, a whole lot of fun. Great, great people. So the postmodern emergent church, this concept of the condemnation, condemnation of theft presupposes the legitimacy of private property. And again, I talk about this in Excellence Kill the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. The utopian ideal for the good Christian, usually leftists are pretending to be generous and Christian all the while promoting theft of your money through the state, of course. They're going to use the state to steal your money, to give away all your worldly goods, to share communally, you know, of course, with their underserved, underinformed, low-information voting bloc on the left. See, what they do is they take from you and they give to them to buy votes. And who are the votes always for? For the leftist leaders who give them stuff. And you know why they, they vote for them? Because they get stuff, but it, they do so in accordance with the perceived and implanted and usually self-caused needs of each of those low-information voters, despite the documented fact that conservative Christians... Got to hear this now. Despite the documented fact that conservative Christians, decade after decade, prove to the and 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 this is just fact. You can dispute it, but the reality of it is, we can we can over and over again and again prove absolutely that we are the most generous, voluntarily generous, and effectively generous people on the planet. Look, this is a lovely thing. It's a lovely thing to be generous, to give, and and to do all these things. But, and I respect and applaud it. Hey, I'm I'm give away my shirt. But uh, my buddy just sent me a, a a quote of Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Cooper, one of my faves. If violent crime is to be curbed, it is only the intended victim who can do it. The felon does not fear the police, and he fears neither judge nor jury. Therefore, what he must be taught to fear is his victim. Can I get an amen out there? But look, it's documented, and I applaud that conservative Christians, decade after decade, proved to be the most voluntarily and most effectively generous people on the planet. I say, hey, that's great. That's awesome. But the left, let me ask you something, left. Why are you always trying to give away my stuff? Why do you, why do, you do that? Why are you always eager to give away my stuff? And you know what? Christians who embrace socialism, you're not authorized by the Bible to project your Christian duties and or ideals onto anybody else. That's fascism. That's communism's fraternal twin. May I respectfully respectfully add that God himself, before the religious theologians got to their analysis, put in his top ten, his with a capital H, top ten rules, thou shalt not steal goes a little bit further, and he says, even more than stealing, I don't want you to covet. Look, folks, God respected and acknowledged private property, and he knew 
that when you mess with people's stuff, bad feces happens. When you mess with people's stuff, feces hits the circular wind device. You see, there is a Christian predisposition to socialism. A lot of this came up. Uh, Mark Fitch wrote a great, great piece in the Federalist uh, on the Federalist.com, October first. And thank you to Jerry from Pennsylvania for sharing this with me. I have such great researchers; they're just absolutely amazing, and they're so helpful. He he says this: the last temptation of Christ may not have occurred in the desert when Satan confronted Jesus. In the biblical book of Matthew, Christ goes alone into the desert and fasts for forty days. While he is starving, the devil confronts and tempts him. If you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Christ answers, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Christian church, both Catholic and Protestant, has faced a similar temptation to turn stone into bread in the form of socialism. Many seem surprised by Pope Francis' criticism of capitalism. Modern liberals trying to push for a more socialistic agenda in Europe, South America, and the United States have used his statements as fodder. While it is commonly assumed that Christianity would be opposed to socialism because of its historic opposition to communism, the two are not the same. Russian and Chinese communism did not allow for religious belief and practice, but the economic system of socialism itself has no such restrictions. Man, this is a great article, and has been embraced by many Christian leaders and, and sexed, S-E-C-T-S, that ain't this kind of show, y'all, throughout the government of modern industrial society, the development of the modern industrial society. In an effort to create a Christian society, believers have lent support to and embraced socialism to the point of revolutionary action as a way to create heaven on earth, bread out of stone. Communitarian Christianity. In his History of Anarchism, Peter Marshall writes, Along the libertarian trend in Christianity has been a communal one. Jesus. Jesus' voluntary poverty, his attack on riches, and his sharing of goods, particularly the bread and the fishes, all inspired many early Christians to practice a form of communism. He cites Acts 2, verse 44 through 45. And all that believed were together, and all had and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And Acts 4.32, Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. For centuries, this alleged ideal of communism had come to the world as a messianic and millennial creed. Thomas Aquinas, the father of the modern Catholic Church, taught that someone in great need can take what he or she needs from others. In his assessment of Aquinas' concept of justice, Alastair McIntyre writes, the condemnation of theft presupposes the legitimacy of private property. Aquinas, however, inherited from the patristic tradition a view of the limitation of the right to property. Ownership is limited by the necessities of human need. Are you following me? Are you following me here? Aquinas also argued against exorbitant legal fees, usury, speech that upsets or angers others, 
and price gouging. The standard commercial and financial practices of capitalism are as incompatible with Aquinas' conception of justice as are the standard practices of the kind of adversarial system of legal justice in which lawyers often defend those whom they know to be guilty, McIntyre says. Sir Thomas More, whom the Catholic Church later made a saint, was the author of Utopia, which became the template for many attempts at refashioning society along communist and socialist principles. Let me say this. I want to be clear. This is me talking, not the article. The article is fantastic. I'm not, I'm not Pope bashing here for my Catholic friends. I'm not Pope bashing. I don't want you to feel like I'm digging your Pope. He says things that I just simply, I cannot abide. I just simply cannot abide. Bastiat in, in the law, the book The Law, 1850, says, Socialism, like the ancient ideas from which it springs, confuses the distinction between government and society. As a result of this, every time we object to a thing being done by government, the socialists conclude that we object to it being done at all. We disapprove, we disapprove of state education. Then the socialists say that we are opposed to any education. We object to a state religion. Then the socialists say that we want no religion at all. We object to a state-enforced equality. Then they say that we are against equality, and so on, and so on. It is as if the socialists were to accuse us of not wanting persons to eat because we do not want the state to raise grain. Powerful words of Frederick Bastiat. During the American progressive push in the Wilson FDR era, one, one particular priest gained national prominence with a radio program. Father Coughlin began his career in fighting the Ku Klux Klan, but segued into denouncing capitalism and advocating for government control of private property for the public good and nationalizing industries deemed important to the nation. Now, here's what we do. We project Christian duties onto government. The Christian creed of caring for the poor often morphs into a call for government to take the reins from industry and private individuals to ensure proper care for the poor. In reality, this is an abdication of responsibility toward that very creed. In effect, it says someone else should do this. Obviously, the Catholic Church and various Christian charities have done wonderful work in helping the poor, the weak, and the downtrodden, as they should. However, the communist and socialist tendency puts the administration of that care into the hands of an all-powerful state bureaucracy, which is not beholden to any higher set of principles or to God. It replaces the priest or the nun with a wage earner at a cubicle desk who is just trying to get through a 40-hour work week so he or she can catch the game on Sunday morning rather than crying into a confessional. Giving into this temptation marks a confusion in Christian heritage between society and the state. By the way, I'm sorry to the callers that I have not been able to get to you. I apologize for that. Um, got a whole lot of stuff here. I'm, I'm not even going to get to all of that, but I do apologize. I'm, I'm just going to tell you so you save you the time. I'm, I'm not going to get to you, and I do apologize. Please check in with us uh, next Monday and, and uh uh, you know what I'll do next Monday? I will allocate some time for callers, just so you can you can uh, get your say, as long as it's clean and not weird and counterproductive. Yeah, I don't. You know I don't allow that. Society is created out of human want and need, and where individuals pursue those ends in a common arena, 
The state, however, is power that exerts itself over the pursuit of those ends. Thomas Paine drew the distinction as such in common sense. Society is produced by our wants and government by our wickedness. The former promotes our happiness positively by uniting our affections, the latter negatively by restraining our vices. The one encourages intercourse, the other creates distinctions. The first is patron, the last is punisher. By Paine's description, Christians take the forbidden fruit, the wicked offer when they empower the state. Look, government and church aren't the same. Creating a more Christian and charitable society comes through individual actions within society. The greatest influence the Christian church can have is through appeal to the individual spirit, a sense of happiness, well-being, and charity. Working within society and through individuals enables charities to be positive, voluntary, and ultimately accountable. However, advocating for state control over these very same areas of human interaction breeds only distrust, resentment, anger, and waste. The massive expansion of government that socialism and communism requires does not create a fairer or equitable society, but rather a more punishing state. Never was that more clear to me. You know, I've spent quite a quite a bit of time in Washington D.C. This isn't in the article. This is this is me. I think it's very, very important. Very, very important. When I drive through Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, our nation's capital, I am reminded as I drive by building after building with hundreds, if not even thousands, of employees. Hundreds, if not even thousands, of federal employees. that are taking from you, that are robbing you, that are stealing your wealth. Do you get it? Do you understand what Washington is doing right now taking your wealth. Folks, do you understand that Washington and the Christian church, Christians must recognize that acting within our own sphere of influence always results in a more qualitative change for individuals. Rather than seeking to change all of society through state interference, forced charity Listen, forced charity is not charitable, or is it Christian? It's a form of despotism. And all those building in D.C., they're lining the pockets of someone, and trust me, it, aren't, it isn't the people that need it the most. I like this saying. Steve reminded me of this. It is universal to say that instead of calling for the governments to take care of your problems, you take care of them. Imagine if we exercised our rights to empower and affect our own future. So in the end, they will lay their freedom at our feet and say to us, enslave us but feed us. 
and they will finally understand that freedom and the assurance of daily bread for everyone who are two incompatible notions that could never exist. That's the deal, folks. We're going to talk more about this next week. Listen, yesterday's message, almost 35,000 people listened to yesterday's message. If you're on this channel, blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninja pastor, then you have it available to you for free. Not one penny it'll cost you. I'd encourage you because I talk about this. I talk about wealth. Talk about James 5, your Akov 5. James, the brother of Jesus. It's one hour. It's commercial free. Give it a shot. Give a listen and share it with your friends. Thank you so much for joining me again to the families of those lost over in Afghanistan on the C-130. My prayers are sincerely with you. And thank you to my friend Morty for giving me a big goal to search for. God bless you all. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor and follow dr sean on twitter at the ninja pastor and on facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash god in country radio and at www.drseangreener.com in the meantime dr sean will be fighting for you and for this great country Thank you for joining in this fight. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.